What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. I'm surprised. I'm, I am I did not expect to go into this episode feeling optimistic and happy about this Chelsea performance, but I am, like, you know, opposed from one dark spot, obviously. Uh, everyone listening probably knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm excited. I'm happy. <laughs> uh, but... You know, this wouldn't be the Blues on Parade podcast without uh, my other co-hosts, Zach and Andreas. I'll start off with you, Andreas. Are you as optimistic as I am right now? Uh, Yeah, I was ready for this game. I was hyped up about it. You know, you guys were like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to watch Chelsea again. I was like, nah, this is it. We're going to start seeing what we're really made of again. And boy, did we show it today. Zach, I mean... I'm not usually like this committed to like being excited, like seeing something that makes me hopeful about their performances. But I think after one match, like I'm, I'm really hyped up. What did you see? Yeah, it was weird. I didn't see a lot of Potter outs today on Twitter, which was nice. No, um, you missed out on that. And that's a direct result of the performance. Like you said, I, I I'm on the same ship as both of you guys. I'm pretty optimistic about, the way the team's playing, the way they're grasping Potter's ideas, his philosophy, it's its starting to look like things are finally coming together. So, you know, long may it continue. I know the, the Reese James thing is unfortunate, but the overall performance as a whole was exactly what the doctor ordered. We were all over them from beginning to end, and we really didn't even give them a chance to get back into game, which was also really nice to see. Yeah, we, uh, Potter opted for the four, depending on what you think it was a four two three one slash four three three um keppa in goal again still uh the back four of reese james Koulibaly, um tiago which was his 100th appearance for the club and kukure on the left and then a midfield of zakaria j5 mason mount and that which was his 150th appearance and a front three of sterling kai and pulisic man they looked really really good when i saw the lineup at first i was really excited this was like exactly the type of lineup that i would have put out to be honest i mean in an ideal world if broja wasn't hurt i think i would have put him in over kai and that's like my dream kind of 11 with what we have right now but damn uh talk let's talk a little bit about the actual formation andreas i'll start with you again is this the end of the three at the back? God, I sure hope so, man. I've been praying for this moment for years now. I just think the three at the back was its just such a negative approach to it all. Yes, there's beauty to it when it works, but I've been wanting to just push the envelope and be the aggressor from the first minute. And I mean, it. it look, this was a great 11, and it didn't include Kovacic. It didn't include Chilwell. Like you said, was Kai our best option up the top right now? Maybe not. And it still looked the way it did. So it's it's one of those things where 
you have to put your best players on the pitch, and I think this allows us to do that week in and week out. So I hope that this is the beginning of a beautiful back forward legacy. And Kyle looked good too. I mean, I, I yeah. know I mentioned that I wouldn't start him, but yeah, that was the right he decision. He looked like he gave a fuck, which was different from the Kai that we're used to seeing, where he's very languid and kind of lackadaisical. At least it, that's what it looks like. I mean, who knows what's going on between his ears? But this game, especially the way he celebrated his goal, it showed that you know he's hungry. There's a little bit of dog in him and a little bit of fight in him so i mean that was great to see from kai i mean my big thing when i was watching this was how big of a coincidence coincidence it is that guys like sterling guys like pulisic guys like mason mount even Jorginho can all thrive when they're put in a system and in a formation that actually places them in their natural position and or with players or next to players that bring the best out of them. So like Jorginho had Zakaria next to him doing all the running and most of the closing down in the midfield. And Jorginho was basically the interception master in this game. He was just kind of playing free safety and picking off through balls while Zakaria was doing the heavy pressing. And on the other hand, you know, you, you had Mason Mount who didn't necessarily have to both create and put away his chances kind of like he doesn't playing in a front three where he's expected to be more of a, a forward um he was a little in, in this match he was more of a pseudo eight slash ten where he was able to find the ball pick it up where he needed operate in specific areas for an extended period of time and then completely change his positioning just to kind of throw Bournemouth off that's how he got his goal um and then, obviously, the wingers, I mentioned Sterling and Pulisic. This was the best performance we've seen from Sterling, I think, all season. I know he didn't get his goal, but there were moments in this game where he looked like Manchester City Sterling, which is exactly what we bought him for, right? I mean, the yeah. guy's a winger. He needs to be running at players and, you know, uh, uh, peeling off the back shoulders of defenders for tightly packed defenses and, you know, playing the ball across goal, things like that, which he did perfectly. Pulisic... Probably should have had a penalty himself. But again, you know, similar to Sterling, where they're both natural wingers and you play them in those positions, they get into dangerous positions and they just kind of make things happen. And I feel like that freed up the game for guys like Mount, guys like Kai to, to really thrive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely for the back four. It's not to say I don't want to see a back three ever again. Um, I think it's a situational lineup, though. I don't think the back three is a lineup that we should be relying on week in and week out. The proof is in the pudding, you know it's not putting players in their best positions. I feel like the back three should only be used to stay defensively solid and just get as many men behind the ball as possible. You know, when we're going at teams, when we're starting matches, I do like to see the back four. I just think it provides so much flexibility, um, you know, within the formation itself to the point where, you know, there really shouldn't be any other option for us. It should be some variation of a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. Yeah, you know, when we first hired Potter, one of the things we talked about a lot was his his non-commitment to one formation and, you know, just cycling between different formations game by game. Um, but I was listening to the pre-match uh, show on NBC, Peacock, whatever, whoever broadcast of the America um, stream of uh, Premier League. They were talking about that, um, and I forget who answered, but he said in a season like this, and I and I agreed with him in a season like this, you know, like in Brighton at Brighton, he already had the trust of every player. They knew the systems well. 
So you could switch back and forth and it worked. But in a team like this where you're coming mid-season, the team is struggling right now. Like, you don't want to be introducing new things at them, like, over and over again. Find something that works and try to stick through it. And I think what I saw worked. And this is something that he should, like, stick through, agreeing yeah. with, you know, what both of you guys said. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, too, like, when you're at a team like Brighton where you're, the talent ceiling is limited, right? We We don't expect Brighton to be competing with the big boys every season. It, they they have a good season. Their talent gets poached back to square one sort of thing. He has to get extra creative, right? He has to play this almost 4D chess to, to where the, the player limitations get hidden by, you know, pulling something out of his ass every week. You wonder if it's, you know, now that he is at a top team, top club like Chelsea, it's his philosophies can get there and he can continue to be consistent with a, with the, you know, formation. And on top of that, we've heard he's more of a yes man. He's more willing to work with, you know, what the ownership and the board wants. And everything that we've read about our ownership is that they want to be playing four at the back. And this whole long term trust the process thing is built around this exact formation. It's a four at the back. It's you want to play three people in midfield slash a ten with that hybrid ten eight and three people up top. So perhaps this is now hey, you had a month to really iron it out. Let's let's just get through the growing pains of this formation and, and let's make it happen. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna okay. agree with both of you guys. I just kind of want to add to what Sam said. It, it, it's a good point that you know whoever made that point <laughs> made because you know if, if things aren't working necessarily seamlessly like a Manchester City or like a Liverpool of the last few years where um, you know they can change formations, match in and match out, and it won't really impact their performances. With Potter, I think the situation is this. I think before the players can start to change formations week in and week out, they need to understand his ideas first. And I think that's the overarching theme of the whole performance as a whole is we got to see what Potter's identity is, what kind of identity he's trying to put on the team. The line-breaking passes, diagonal runs from the forwards, um, and closing the ball down in the defensive third where we could win it high up the pitch and keep the pressure on other teams. It, it was very clear that those were the emphasis or that was the emphasis going into this game. I think that's going to be the emphasis going on throughout the rest of the season. But it would be really naive of him to kind of go into the next match or against City in a couple of weeks and completely change the formation and completely change the style of play. I think for now we need to stick to one or two formations and hone in on his ideas and make sure that they're nailed into every single player's brains before we can go ahead and change formations, which kind of goes on Andres's point. That's why Brighton were able to do what they did because they had, they knew exactly what their coach was thinking at all times. And that way, if he changed the formation, the philosophy's already ingrained. There's really not much teaching to do on Potter's part besides telling him, you know, basically where they're going to be playing that day. Yeah, and I think it was Robbie Musto, by the way, who who made that comment. Just want to give him his credit. I know we're a bigger show than you know the morning <laughs> show, so we got to give him his credit. Um, let's talk about the midfield because all three of them played exceptionally. Um, we got a Twitter question from Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy so- Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme. It's been a long time since I've done that. He asked, seeing how well Zach played, 
not you, Zach, talking about Zakaria, oh. I think. Um, although you did play pretty well. And how a true DM there helped bring the best out of J5 and contributed to the flow of the team. How important is getting a true DM this window and the future of the club? Zach, I'll start off with you. I still think it's a it should be a priority. Now I know we we have the buy option on Zakaria, and I think it's around thirty million. Whatever, if that figure is true and accurate, that's a pretty good bargain for what you're going to get, right? The guy is still relatively young. He does have a point to prove. I really do like what he's. I I, I love what he said. Actually, I don't just like it. I love it. What he said earlier this week about him not getting into the team. He is fucking hell bent on making sure that this loan is a success. And he understands why he hasn't gotten time up to this point, and he, and he kept saying over and over that he's when he does get his chance, he's going to prove it. And I think this game was a great example. You know, to Ron's question about the whole Jorginho thing, the formula for Jorginho has always been putting him next to a good DM. It, that was the formula at Napoli when he had Allen doing all the running around him. That was the case in the Champions uh, this, in 2021 when we won the Champions League. That lineup was built around Jorginho and Conte in the midfield. Conte doing all the running, Jorginho doing all the recycling and organizing. So for me, it's a matter of, of finding a, the right player that's going to have, that's going to be able to allow Jorginho to provide that balance to the midfield. Now, that's with the caveat of if Jorginho is even going to be here next season. I know that's still up in the air, but. In general, I think if we are going to be playing him and we do want to get the best out of him, Jorginho, that is, we do need to play Zakaria next to him. I think that's a no-brainer. you got to have somebody that's willing to do the running, the hard tackling, um, and you know, basically able to make up for the lack of physicality that Jorginho has. I mean, it, it's in the... We've seen it before. When Conte was healthy, yeah. the Conte-Jorginho double pivot in the Champions League was impenetrable. It's the, like you said, you have one guy running like a madman and then Jorginho is smart enough to to get the ball back. He just reads the game well. He's just too slow and not physical enough to sort of force the, the, the subject, right? Like he has to react to somebody else who forced the tackle or who forced the mistake. And, and Salma may be stealing this from you real quick, but Jorginho had the most ball recoveries in this game because like Zach alluded to, Zakaria and Mount, the dirty work and guess who's there to clean house a smart guy that's watching everything go through and, and that's what Jorginho will give you we will never see Jorginho you know help the defense on a counterattack or make that key tackle that prevents the other team to have a numbers advantage but if he has those two workhorses who are willing to you know put in the hard yards he ends up being the guy that benefits. You know, the first mouse gets caught in the trap and the second mouse gets the cheese, whatever that saying is. That's Jorginho for you. He's super smart. He knows what's happening. He's just not the biggest athlete. So, yeah, I'm not shocked by this at all. That The 15 ball recoveries he had wasn't just more than anyone in this match. It was more than any player this game week in the whole Premier League. So, oh, um Make sure you include that part because it was a, it was an impressive stat. Um, I mean, Zach, did you see this more of like a double pivot or a midfield three? Um, I understand how people could see a midfield three. For me, I saw a more of a double pivot. I think it was clear that um, Jorginho and Zakaria were sitting a little deeper. 
um, than Mason Mount was. Now, that's not to say Mount wasn't tracking back defensively and closing down spaces, which he was. Um, I think defensively, you could argue that it was more of a midfield three. But in the attack, I mean, Mount was just playing a straight-up number 10 role. You know, sitting right behind Kai, oftentimes drifting out wide and switching positions with Pulisic or switching positions with Sterling. But I did notice he was switching Pulisic a little bit more, who's more comfortable sitting at the 10. But yeah, I mean, for me, it was a double pivot in the attack. And um, I, I really like the look of it, to be honest. You know, it, it there really was no gripe that I had while watching this match. Now, that's to say that Bournemouth didn't really have much to offer with their midfield. But, you know, at the same time, you could only play who's in front of you. And we, we, we just completely dominated them in that respect. I mean, you're saying when you say it's a true double pivot, you're talking about the Jorginho like at the base, right? I'm saying Jorginho and Zakaria sitting in at the base, yeah. Right right in okay, front of the so Jorginho two. and Zakaria are basically parallel with our center yeah. backs. If you're gonna draw it out on a piece of paper. I mean Mason Mount was unbelievable. We got another Twitter question. This one is from newbie at newbiexys on Twitter. He said Mount's passing today was superb. I mean, not just his passing, his shot, his goal was amazing. He almost had a second one. I think overall he was phenomenal. I've all the haters out there are dead silent to after today's match. Um, Andreas talking about his passing, but also generally his performance. What do you think about Mason? I think again, it's one of those things where this is where Mount likes to operate. It's you know Zach called it the eight ten hybrid. He's not an all out attacker. He's not this like artist that's gonna find the unlocking pass. But he's your your sort of Swiss Army knife, and when you put him in those half spaces, you allow him to press the front three, you allow him to counter, you allow him to dribble when the opportunity's there, and most of all, you let him have a free roll when the ball gets wide, whether he decides to go help or get in the box. That's where he's really dangerous, and that's how you see him score. Right? He decides to stay out. It's a tap in. There was another play, uh, you know, run a play where he dribbled up the left side. Kai Havertz made the run outside. He tucked in. And and again, he was able to do that because of the freedom he gets on the ball in this role. So to me, it's like left center mid slash 10 when we get into possession role, it fits him perfectly. It's what made him sort of get his shot in the first team to begin with and what he thinks it's his best position. So again, you're not asking him to unlock a defense because he's not always going to hang between the midfield and the defense. You're not asking him to do all the defensive work because he is not your DM in this role. So the things that he does best get sort of um, heightened and and it also lowers the, the chances that the deficiencies in his game will come by. So if he's, he's not drifting wide too often, he doesn't have to do one-on-one dribbling. If he's not in the front three, he's not asked to be the guy that's creating or finishing every single chance. So for me, I think this sort of 50-50 kind of go where you're needed role is is what's best for Mount because he's not... I don't think of Mount as the guy that's going to win you games. I think of Mount as the guy that lets the other guys get the glory, essentially. Yeah. Like, like he he benefits when when he's not the focus 
in a way, I don't know how, how else to explain it. Like he's the guy that sneaks up and, and scores. He's the guy that sneaks into the assist. He's not the guy that's, he's not your KDB that you expect 20 assists. And he's not your Bruno who I hate, but like, he's a good goal scoring midfielder who you expect to get on the end of the ball. He just kind of, he's at the right place at the right time, whether it's for the assist or the goal. And I think today showed it with his obvious shot from outside the box. Yeah, it was a really clean finish. I, I think that's the thing I liked about it the most is positionally, he seems a lot more comfortable because it's almost like where he was receiving the ball and when he was receiving the ball in this match. He was just kind of playing free-flowing, happy-go-lucky, enjoying the game, right? Where If we see him playing up top, he oftentimes, you alluded to it, he doesn't have the pace to out-dribble you know, fa- uh, quick, the quicker fullbacks in the league. So then he's basically forced to tuck inside, and things get pretty clogged up when he's, when he's forced to tuck inside. But if you make him that only player that's playing in the middle, in between two wingers, you're allowing him more space to operate. And then also... But if if you're actually giving him the eye test and just looking at him, he looks way more comfortable. His decision making's quicker. He's getting rid of the ball quicker. And then like for that goal, if he was playing as a right winger and got a ball in a similar position, he probably takes a touch and one touch too many and then doesn't even get the shot off. But because he's able to drop off, he notices that there's space around him. And he was already in a pretty damn good rhythm. You know, prior to that shot, he started out the game really well. It just gave him the confidence to strike through that ball and, and, and be, you know, it, it was a technical a technical goal, which is something that we expect of him. We haven't seen enough of that. So I think if he continues to play in this position, we'll see more. I think that's basically the summarization of where he'll be the most dangerous, right at the top of the box, somewhere between like 18 and 25 yards out from goal, just kind of being that danger man that hangs out there. Anytime the ball rolls to him, you know, he, he should be having a pop at goal. So hopefully that gives him the confidence. Then the other thing is we're able to utilize him defensively when we need to. So he was dropping back a lot, which I told Som earlier, but it wasn't this useless running just for the sake of running, or it wasn't running to cover another midfielder. It, it seemed like there was such a good balance between both Mount, Jorginho, Zakaria, and whoever was playing fullback. At one point, I forgot who it was on Bournemouth, they received the ball, like, at the bottom of our screen. So what is that? Like, closest to the bench, right at about midfield. Um, the Bournemouth guy takes one touch, looks up. He has Jorginho, Kukurea, Mount, and Pulisic all pressing him at the same time. And then if he was able to squeeze out of that, he has to worry about Zakaria for the second ball, or Thiago Silva for the second ball. So allowing Mount to play in that position gives our defense also the ability to kind of close down those spaces really quickly because let's be honest if i had to pick three of mount's best traits one of them is his pressing so now we're utilizing that to our advantage and then when we pick up the ball he's picking up the ball with time and space to make the right decisions as opposed to being 10 15 yards higher up the pitch face to face with a fullback who's quicker than you so it's for me it's just all about the balance and i think potter got it right this time around you know and, and like I said, I I just hope that he sticks with this formula, you know, seeing where the guys play the best, play their best rather, and keeping them there. It, it does it doesn't only benefit Mason Mount. It benefits because like playing him not playing him in the front three allows someone else pl- to play their natural position. Yeah. And 
that's that was Raheem Sterling on the right, um, Pulisic playing on the left. I mean, this front three was cooking. Everyone was playing in their natural position. I mean, Kai playing the lone striker who, th- that's not his natural position, but at this point, that's what he is. Um, but those three looked amazing. They were all cooking. Uh, as I mentioned, Kai Havertz, with the goal and the assist, was voted the Premier League player, I mean, man of the match. Um, Pulisic almost had a goal. Uh, his goal was disallowed by some pretty soft foul call and, uh, you know, only wasn't turned over, I mean, overturned by VAR because there was no clear and obvious error. Sterling had the assist, three chances created, two out of three successful dribbles. Uh, I guess I'll read this question from Black Emoji. I know he, I think he meant this generally, but we can just apply it to the front three. Is this the blueprint going forward, Andreas? I think it has to be to an extent, right? I think the way these three guys work, it almost plays to all their strengths. Like Polisic was, the way I saw it was Polisic was clearly just on the left side. Polisic drifted in from the left, but he was always the left-sided guy. Kai and Sterling were given the freedom to interchange positions. And I also think this will only happen when Reese James is there, but with Reese being so willing to get forward, Sterling also gets to drift centrally. So now you have Sterling and Kai being able to switch with each other because Kai's also left-footed. So if he drifts wide, he can cut in and shoot with his left. But it allows both of them to do what they like best. Kai doesn't just want to be a target man. He can get involved however he wants and almost be a false nine. And Sterling can drift into the box, which is one of the main reasons we got him because he's always in the right place when a cross comes in. So to me, I think that this front three just supplements each other very well. You add Mount as the, the sort of free role in the attack from midfield as the guy kind of cleaning up and with the late run into the box. And it's dangerous. I mean, all the guys had chance one point or another. Um, there was a point where Reese found Kai on an early ball and he was drifting wide and Sterling made a run. There was another time where Polisic found Kai wide left and he tried finding Sterling on the back post. So it's just, again, Kai's not your traditional nine. And even Potter said it. The thing about him is that he pops in everywhere. And, and you have Sterling and Polisic who are... They're not, you know, like Mo Salah, who is just there for scoring, but they get into the right positions and they work well with with these sort of um, facilitating strikers, right? You know, Pulisic looked best next to Giroud, who was always trying to play with his back to goal, and and Sterling himself worked well. Like I'm thinking specifically with Harry Kane in England, where Harry Kane is also very willing to pass the ball. So, yeah, to me, the three of them work really well together as long as you have someone it's it's a balanced thing Pulisic gets to stay left and Kai and Sterling are interchanging I, I like what I saw yeah I mean I, I talked about it a little earlier I completely agree you know when you play guys in their best positions it's funny how they can actually perform well right um, the, the thing I noticed more specifically when Reese went out was that a lot of our width was dependent on our wingers, which is something that we don't see in the in the three four three. 
oftentimes in a 3-4-3, they're more so center forwards or a right forward, left forward. They're not your traditional touchline winger where they're receiving the ball with their heels on the sideline, running at defenders and just kind of creating havoc that way. And that's exactly what Pulisic and Sterling did really well in this game. I felt like every time they received the ball, they were able to pick their head up, see what was in front of them, and then either keep the keep the play moving and sort of recycle possession or run at them. Oh, shit, I have an opening here. I could run at players now. And they were also able to pick and choose their times to sort of drop in centrally um, and operate, you know, in between the center back and the fullback as opposed to strictly on the outside of the fullback. We talk about Pulisic's disallowed goal. What about his penalty shout that could have gone either way? I mean, in real time, I think it would have been soft to give inside 15 minutes, but by definition, that's a pen. His jersey got pulled. It impeded his progress. So, you know, in, in that situation, Pulisic drifts inside. He notices a little gap between the center back and the fullback, knows that he could beat him in a five-yard sprint, does exactly that, gets into position, and we should have had a pen. So we're seeing Sterling and Pulisic both occupy those positions, which is great. And I only think it's going to benefit Kai in the long run because Kai loves to feed off that kind of energy, right? He doesn't like to stay in the middle with his back to goal, uh, basically bodying up a center back all day. He's going to drift out wide. He's going to drop in and sort of replace mount at the 10 every now and then and play some through balls or clip a ball over the top every, every so often. Um, but something that... Well, just for the record, I do want to see this front three start against Forrest. And if possible, depending on you know how handedly we can beat Forrest, I'd like to see them start against City too. But just looking ahead as to what our other potential options are, because I noticed the Bombing came in on the left for Pulisic, which I know he played that at Arsenal, but that wasn't a successful tenure at Arsenal. So I don't know how that's going to work out long term. I'm curious to see what you guys think. And I've been on record saying that Ziyech was done, and I was done with him. But after he also had a good World Cup, like Pulisic did, not so much Raheem Sterling, but if Ziyech could come in and get a start, maybe playing at a, as a right winger, in this system, which we've, I think we've all said that he could only operate in a 4-3-3 playing on the right wing, is that something you guys are open to at this point in time, you know, based on the proof that he played well in the World Cup, he looked committed. And also, we, also we, we have to have the balls to sack up and go back on our words. I mean, I'll be the oh, first yeah. one to raise my hand and say, I said fuck Hakeem Ziyech maybe 10 or 15 times on this show. But after seeing a performance like this, the fluidity of play, the ability for players to kind of drift and pick, out, pick and choose their own spaces, play their own game, I think that falls right into Ziyech's hands. It's not about the play. It's the attitude. It's 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 the the energy that he plays with. It's it's if that is there, then yeah, I'll I mean I I won't apologize because I think my my feeling that he should go fuck himself was accurate at the time. But if he yeah. changes his attitude, then yeah. that's a whole that's a completely different story. I'm not apologizing for that. Well, 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 let's take a look at a guy like Kai. You saw the way his, I mean, his attitude in a public, publicly in press conferences, things like that, he never showed that he had a bad attitude. But on the field, I mean, his body language was shit. Sure. It was but a little that, different. Yeah, Ziyech is doing it all. He's posting on Instagram. He's, you know, like doing everything he can to pretty much say, I, I'm not happy here. He posted a fucking highlight of him scoring on Chelsea. Like, it's it's one of those things where like Ziyech had a fantastic World Cup. Now he's not back to Cobham and into like to training because he made it to the semis. 
my question is, is, is he already packed up ready for a January move? Like, I don't see, yeah. like, we don't know that. We don't know what the board is doing. Like, if he's here for the rest of the season, sure. But if we're actively shopping him, I don't want him touching the field. Right now, his stock is at its highest. Like, I, I don't yeah. want him getting injured. I don't want him potentially having a bad game. Like, as of right now, he is as good of an option as he's going to be in the market. And and for that reason alone, like, it's it. that's it. Like, if he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. And it's never been about his skill set. We've always said it. You play four and a midfield three behind Ziyech and you let him roam the right side, it'll be great for you. But at this point, I think his mind is made up. I think the board is willing to cut their losses if, if something comes through. I mean, Omari Hutchinson made the bench this time around, and apparently Aquameca's he's been killing also. it. Aquameca's healthy as well. Not that he's a right winger, but like... Play up top. It's one of those things where like right now, Chelsea wants to... I, I think the, the message across the board is like, we know this season is like, we, we're trying to get top four but we're not willing to sacrifice a long-term picture for that goal. If we don't get top four, it's not the end of the world, but we're trying to create our identity with the people who are going to be here, who the people who are going to grow through this club. And if Ziyech isn't part of that anymore, I don't think we're going to see him again. Sterling is a new signing. He's going to be here for the next three, four years. So Sterling plays. Ziyech, eh, or rather just at this point, cut losses. He's going to be great somewhere else. Like, again, we've never been in this podcast to say that Ziyech sucks, like, on the pitch as a player, what he can do. It's just not going to happen here. Great answer, Andreas. That was a great answer. I, I agree 100%. Um, let's talk about Reese James. We have avoided it for this long, but <laughs> came off with a knee injury, the same injury. Um, I mean, the same knee that he just came back from, um, and, and what was like the 50 something minute, um, yeah. and Adam Newson on Twitter, he, he provided an update. Uh, Potter said that it's the same area. So we're concerned. We'll have to see in the next 24 to 48 hours. So we don't know, but he was seen leaving Stamford Bridge, wearing a brace on his right knee, according to Sky Sports. Um, but I think a big thing that was going through or going on Twitter, a uh, big discussion, was Reese James FC, how much our performance fell off after he came off and Dave came on. Um, I didn't necessarily see that. Like it's Obviously, there is going to be a drop-off. But it's not like we looked like shit once he came off. You know, I think it's overplayed a little bit. Uh, I don't really have a question, I guess, right now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, I'll start because he he's currently my favorite player on this team. I'd say, obviously, when Reese James is on the pitch, the other team is going to have to adapt to that. I think it's not crazy to say that this year he's been the best right back in the world for what he does on both ends on the pitch, right? If he's defensively, you're trying to avoid him. And then when he's on offense, you're trying to prepare for what he brings to the table, which is with, uh, if he's in the box, it's it's a danger because he can score. So I think we look worse. Sure, everyone's going to look worse when their best player is not on the pitch. And I think that the performance was suddenly shit and I'm now shitting my pants for neck for this Sunday. Not necessarily. 
I still am not a big fan of of continuing with Aspie as our only option, but I think right now the the goal should be to get Reese one hundred percent healthy because we are we are a for a shoe in to the top four when Reese James is playing week in and week out. And and again, I, I've I've hammered this every single time that that people have tried to call for Potter's head and what happened and why the performance has dropped. With Reese James, I think we're before this match, and sure, we'll add this match. We're six and eight. We're six of eight wins under Potter with Reese on the pitch starting. That's not a coincidence because it's not like we've played only shit teams when he's here. Milan um, twice, and and to make it even about just Bournemouth, we hadn't beaten Bournemouth the last three times we played them. And they've been a bogey. So a bogey again, team. we usually play worse against bad teams we play down to their level so again in terms of reese james i do think our best football will come when reese james is on the pitch but i don't think this second half was as bad as people make it out to be like i think there's truth to both i think the best chelsea has his reese james in it and the next best is is a big drop off but i don't think that that 45 minutes or close to 45 minutes without him was like a What's our favorite word? Shambolic performance. I think it was fine. Chances were there. We missed them. Kai could have had a hat trick. Pulisic could have scored. Re- uh, Sterling could have scored. Like Gallagher. Chances were there. Ga- oh, Gallagher was the bad one. Yeah. Mount yeah. could have had two. Yeah. So so that's the big one for me. I think I think the goal still should be getting a backup. Like a guy that's gonna be there. Again, I, I harp on this also. Liverpool has backups to both their fullbacks. Robertson goes down, you have Samikas. Samikas is not Robertson, but he can do a job for you for a couple weeks if Robertson got, gets a knock. Trent goes down, you have Joe Gomez slide in. He can do a job. It's, he's not going to put Trent numbers out there, but your overall team performance doesn't go straight to the gutter. And I think that's what should be the goal for us in, in, you know, now that we have to look again for a backup for Reese James. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to bounce off of that and say that obviously getting Reese James healthy is the important thing here and giving him the time he needs to get back to 100%. I'm 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 over this let's throw him on the pitch even though he's 85% and he passed all the physicals and whatever. No. I think the player needs to be absolutely 100% before he could come back since it is a recurring injury, right? It's not like this is the first time this happened. It's the same exact spot. I'm guessing it's the same injury or something similar. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's what Potter said. He said it's the same area. Oh, so, I mean, I thought you meant from last year when he got hurt. It's same no, area. no, no. I think last year was a what was it? A hamstring or something? I don't something? remember. I don't was, even remember. I don't I remember either. That out of my but, memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. But regardless, I mean, I'm speaking of just this year's injury with his knee, right? Since it is a recurring right. injury, I think we should be extra careful in getting him back. But obviously, that's number one. The second part of protecting Reese is getting him some actual fucking cover that can do a job. Now, Dave can play well for one or two matches, but an extended period of time at this point in Dave's career, it's not he's not playing in a position that I don't think any Chelsea fan wants to see him play in, right? So getting him that cover in January is going to be that much more important now. I think that should be priority number one. And I've set, I feel like a broken record because I say it every podcast. But... Getting another CM and getting a right back are so, so, so important. 
And maybe I didn't emphasize how important it was getting a right back because, you know, Reese James was going to be back by the time we got back from the World Cup break and blah, 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 blah. Now that Reese is out, that should be number one on the list. More so than DM, more so than a striker, more so than a center back or whatever other positions that we're looking at. It's finding legitimate cover for him. I don't want to see somebody that's aging walk through the door, someone in their 30s. I need to see a young player who looks like he can potentially be competition one day. It it shouldn't be just sort of a stopgap move or an aging veteran move where we've got somebody on the cheap. I want somebody that's actually going to be worth our while for the long term because if the evidence shows us anything, Reese is going to get hurt at least once a season. That's just the way he plays. The minutes he plays, the style of play, his big frame, I think it's inevitable that he's good for missing at least five to seven games minimum a season. But you've got to be realistic, too, though. What was that? You have to to be realistic, too, though. You can't expect a guy to sign a 10-year contract just to be a backup. No, no, no. And and, and that's not not what I'm expecting. You're not going to sign a 36-year-old, but you need to sign someone that's, you know, probably in his mid to late 20s who... Who is okay with a big jump into Chelsea, but also okay with the limited minutes? Um, and Sam, I don't know if we want to move on to to our Twitter question, but I have a shout—a very left field shout. But you go, right go ahead and re- go ahead and read it. Yeah. So we had um, our boy Blaze Caruso. Welcome back, bud. Haven't heard from you in a while. He asked uh, thoughts on any right back solutions for January, and and I'm looking straight at the World Cup. And I'm thinking the Croatian guy, Juranovic. That guy was all over the pitch for Croatia. Again, he's not a Reese James clone. We've covered the field as if he's like Reese James. He's 27 years old. Celtic is a good club, but he's not going to, you know, what's he going to upgrade in the Scottish Premier League? Go to the Premier League and play some good squad minutes, maybe. So that's my shout. I think. He's 27. He probably would be okay with, you know, upgrading the club side of things. And and again, did a great job in the World Cup semifinalist. I think that that could be a good shout. I don't even know if he's in the market, but someone like that, that's some that's probably the right profile in my head. Especially for a January transfer, like I think people need to get the idea of getting a Denzel Dumfries or a Frimpong or whatever other flashy right back name we've been linked with. I think it's just unrealistic in January. I think I think Dronovic is actually a really good shout. It provides the depth that we need. He can cover for you know however long. But but again, it's a matter of like actually targeting those players, and I think that's something that just frustrates the hell out of me as a fan sitting in you know in my office right now recording a podcast that hardly anybody listens to. It's like... Hey, that's not true. <laughs> it, 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 how come we're seeing center backs and center mids and, you know, <laughs> Brazilian wonder kids left, right, and center being linked with us that I've never heard of before, as opposed to positions that we actually need filled for this season? Because it doesn't it's, get you clicks. doesn't get you clicks, man. Telling, telling the world that Gvardiol is on our radar. Clicks. Instant clicks. Why can't Chelsea fans just have nice things? I don't understand. I think that's the perfect profile. I know you obviously don't mean him specifically with talking about Yurvanovic, Yuranovic, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that is probably the the mold that you go after, and I think that's yep. a necessity. 
Um, mm-hmm. Quickly, just want to touch on Dave because you mentioned him. Um, because right now he's our right back backup. Um, uh, he he actually this appearance was his four hundred and ninety fourth career appearance for Chelsea, uh, tying Peter Check for six most, God. and as well as equaling the most games played for a club for the club by an overseas player. That's so that's him and Peter check his next appearance. He'll break that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Zach. You, he's in a position right now that no Chelsea fans want to see. Let's bring him some cover because <laughs> playing a back four with him at right back is not necessarily the best option for us. We're probably going to see, some more back three now, honestly, because Reese James is out until we get a replacement. But I don't know. I I hope not. Um, maybe maybe our our listeners know more about like what players came up during that break from the academy that could deputize at right back because I I don't know off the top of my head. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know the the you know the full twenty two man under twenty three squad that we deploy, but there was a lot of young faces on on the bench slash reserves. This weekend, I mean, Lewis Hall is a center mid that we've played at left wing back. I don't know if there's a guy that can do that on the opposite end of the field on the right side. But, you know, maybe, maybe Potter will, you know, surprise all of us and and not wear out Aspie in the long run. Maybe Aspie might get the short game going Sunday, but who knows? Maybe we'll see a, a fresh new face. I mean, it would be nice if we had more healthy center backs. Then, like, I would have no problem playing Chalaba as a right back, just out and out for yep, a couple matches. So, like, why don't we? Why don't? Who's to say that Chalaba can't replicate, if not do even better than Joe Gomez as a right back? I think technically, yeah, I was thinking like Ben ball, White also. Like, yeah, yeah. Ben White's a good example. I think Kunde Chalaba to be him. He has the his technical ability is more than enough to play as a right back, at least as a. That's a good point. Maybe not full on. Like Ben White has really good technical ability and it's working out for him. He started Arsenal's move for their nicest goal this week. And I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah. But I maybe, did. maybe Chalaba could replicate that. And then at, at the same time, I was just thinking about this too is like when Dave comes in, the frustration is he occupies the same space that Reese James occupies, but without any effect whatsoever when we're in possession. Like his crossing's terrible, his passing is too slow, right? Why don't we just play a center back as a right back, like a Chalaba, and then have the left side be the dominant side going forward? I would rather have Kukurea, or I would rather have Chilwell go forward, because both of those guys seem to have a better eye for a cross than Dave does. You know, they just, Chilwell especially, I think Chilwell is just an out-and-out wing back in general, but... Correa also, he finds himself in good positions. Yes, the end result might not be okay every single time, but at least that allows Dave to be put in a position where he's doing what he does best, which is only defend. He'll have the comfort of playing next to two center backs, basically replicating the same right center back role he had under... Like It just makes total sense for that to be the situation if we are going to play Dave. Otherwise, let's just scrap the whole thing. If we don't pick up a right back this January, let's start playing Chalaba out there. I mean, he's a yes man anyways. And not just that, like you see it when we're in possession out the back. It it it's a three man line out of possession. Like yeah. Kulabali, who had to play at right center back today, was way out on the touchline. So like you said, Zach, maybe we just flip and mirror it to where now 
it's Chalaba on the right, Thiago in the middle, and Koulibaly way on the left, and then Kukurea drifts into like a wide center mid slot. And, and mm-hmm. I hate to have to keep using Arsenal as a, as a, you know, example, but you said it right. Ben White is a right back, and then Zinchenko gets to drift into center mid to help clean up and, and recycle possession, which Kukurea is more than capable of doing. Like, that's his biggest thing. He's quick to tackle and, and then just keep it simple. Because like yeah. you said, he may not be your your Chilwell who gets into a crossing position or into the end of a cross. But he's really fucking good at getting the ball and getting it right out of his feet to somebody. So hopefully, like you said, we see some nuance to, to the situation and and give that a shot. Because unfortunately for us, like you said, Fofana and, and now potentially Thiago are hurt. But if it wasn't if that wasn't the case, I mean that that could be a very good and, and very efficient solution to where, you know, we don't have to make Aspie look bad because I said earlier that teams would have to game plan around Reese James to our benefit, but I think with Aspie, as awful as it sounds, teams would game plan around Aspie to our detriment. Yeah, they'll target him. Yeah. I think I'm all for that, Zach. I'm all for that, and I really believe that's what we're going to see next match, actually. Hey, yo, Graham, I know you're listening. You should uh, put uh, <laughs> you should put Zach's tactics into play tonight. Hey, Grant Potter's a smart guy. I'm sure if we thought of that, he thought of that as well. He's okay. already thought three steps it's ahead. It's definitely yeah. crossed yeah. his mind. <laughs> like, here's the thing. It's not to say that like Dave just outright sucks and he can't do any job for us whatsoever. I think of he course, can for yeah, a game or know. two. But we're if we're going to play, like, like, if we do that Chalabino scenario, he's not going to be able to play the 90 minutes as a right back. So you could bring Dave on the last 10 or 15 minutes just to kind of shore things up, fresh legs, yep. this and that. That'll be, yep. that'll be completely ideal. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to have a Kepa talk. Um, because I think during the season... We kind of had the idea that, okay, this is just him, you know, filling in for Kepa. I mean, sorry, for Mendy. And we'll sell him by the end of the season to recoup some of that ridiculous transfer fee we paid for him. But this season, he's been unbelievable. He has the best save percentage in the Premier League this season with two or more appearances. In seven matches, he has an 83.9% save percentage. He has 26 saves. Five goals conceded in those seven matches and four clean sheets. Um, he's clearly become Graham Potter's number one. But, Andreas, we talked about this earlier, and I kind of want to have this discussion on the podcast. I mean, what what are our options at this point? Like, like are there other keepers out there that can fit this system that are an upgrade to Kepa or better with the timeline? Should we just look completely rule out the idea that we might sell Kepa this year? Well, there's like names have been floated around. Like the big one is Diogo Costa, um, the Portuguese keeper. And I honestly, I never had seen him ahead of time, like ahead of the world cup. And and that was the big hype guy. But I, I thought he was nothing special um, for Portugal. Um, Then there's, there's been the conversation like, Oh, well, Maybe we just get the Brighton keeper, Robert Sanchez. And it's like, uh, that's honestly, if Robert Sanchez is the best we're going to get, keep Kepa. We already had to pay his astronomical fee, and he's tied to a long contract with us anyway. So even if he 
starts performing well, we don't owe him anything. He's making great money. The only name out there that even I would even consider at this point, and that's if it's a decent fee, is is Unai Simon, who is the Spain starting goalkeeper. And again, at the end of the day, it's a very similar profile to Kepa. So, so Bilbao also the same. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So, and he's only twenty five. So it's like, yeah, he can be a long term signing. So my thing at the end of the day is like. Peppa is is doing good. Um, I'll let you get into that a little bit later. I think he he already knows what Potter's been kind of liking. He's good with his feet. He's kept a crazy amount of clean sheets for us recently. And we also have this young guy that we signed for the long term called Gaga Slonina, who there's no there's at least at this point no rush to get him into the first team. Mm-hmm. So are we really going to splash? on a new keeper again if the one we have right now is doing well like i don't know i think i don't want to overpay for a keeper today is is basically what i'm getting at i think keppa's done well this season and and it's not like a i don't think it's an anomaly at this point what he's done zach do you have anything you wanted to add to that or no, not really. I, I, I do agree on the sentiment that the market kind of sucks right now. Like everybody that's clamoring for us to go ahead and sign a new goalkeeper doesn't realize it's not the market of old where we were in for Allison and keeping an eye on Ederson. And then also we had Keppa in our back. Donnarumma. Donnarumma was available that year also. You're right. It, there just isn't enough quality out there in the market for us to go after anybody who can be reasonably priced. And I think the Diago Costa situation is the perfect example of that. He's bang average and he's, you know, clipped at what, 70 million, something like that. That, that, that. That's his supposed fee. So if that's the case, let's just keep Kepa another year. There's no reason to block Slonina's, you know, pathway into the first team. Maybe we can afford to keep Keppa another year, two years, let Slanina go on loan, get refined a little bit, or even just hang around the first team and get some cup appearances, see what he's really about, and then make a decision from there. It's just to go and spend seventy million on a goalkeeper that's unproven, I just have too much PTSD. Like how it would be the stupidest move I think the new ownership can make is, is is replicating the stupidest move that the previous ownership did. And that spent 75 million on a guy who's has little to no experience. Like, yeah, the Spain goalkeeper is great and all, but I'm sure he's not going to come for anything less than 50 or 60. I mean, he just went to the world cup over Keppa and over De Gea and over guys like that. So I don't know. I mean, outside of them, there really is nobody. I like the kid from Croatia. He looks nice, but again, he's more of a traditional shot stopper. He's not... And he might be off to Bayern. Yeah, exactly. He might even be off to Bayern, but even if we did target a guy like that, he's not really great with his feet, at least from what I saw. He just looks like an elite shot stopper, and that's about it. So, I mean, that would be perfect for perfect signing for Bayern. He's just trying to do a stopgap, but... Yeah, I'm I'm all for keeping Keppa, especially if he keeps up this vein of form. I think, you know, one thing I really appreciated about him in the Bournemouth match was whenever the ball got played back to him, it was it was it was just a reminder that I don't have to have a heart attack every time our goalkeeper touches the ball with his feet. Like Keppa's gonna make the right decision or he's just gonna put it right out of play and allow our defense to get back and organized again. So 
he's a smart keeper. He's a great shot stopper. He's good with his feet. For me, there's really no reason to sell him unless a team comes by tomorrow and offers us the full feedback for him. Otherwise, until there's another Allison or Ederson on the market, I don't want to hear any other goalkeepers named like with us. All right. I think uh, the last thing we got to talk about, Thiago Silva, obviously he was limping around most of the match. Um, I will, I wish that he was pulled at halftime just because when you're thinking about like a Thiago Silva who, again, like is playing like a top five center back in the Premier League, maybe even in the world, especially when you look at what how he looked in for Brazil. His age is still like he's not the long term plan. That's why we're spending 30, whatever, 40 million for the Monaco center back. I forget his name. Betty Shield. Shield. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a complicated situation. I'll start off with you, Zach. Is it time to phase Tiago out of the main 11 for his own benefit, to be honest? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, the only thing that's really going to hurt him in the long run is himself, his warrior mentality. He was limping after the first four or five minutes and somehow finished a full 90 while making fully stretched leg saves, blocks. I mean, you name it. The typical Tiago performance. I don't think we need to phase him out this season, um, with that being said. I think, you know, especially with the injuries that are going on with Fofana, you don't want to rush a guy like that back. He would be the obvious one to kind of step in next to Koulibaly. Uh, Chalaba, I don't know what the deal is, um, you know, why he keeps getting put out of the starting 11. I think with a back four, he's probably the biggest victim um, because in a back three, he's a, he's a surefire starter on the other side of, of uh, Tiago. But Koulibaly had a really good World Cup. Tiago had a really good World Cup, so they obviously get the nod here. I don't, I, I still think we have enough depth for Tiago to be our guy, just for performance's sake. But definitely going into next season, we're going to need to to not play him as much. I mean, the guy's going to be 39 next year. I don't know how many more full 90s he's going to be able to play. I have a feeling that next season he's going to be the center back that if he does start for us, he's going to play about 60 or 70 minutes. We go up two or three, and then we sub him right off. We already started to see hints of that this season, so... It doesn't excite me to know that Tiago... It sounds crazy saying out loud because he's fucking incredible. Um, but I would be really annoyed if we went into next season and Tiago Silva was still our surefire first name on the team sheet. Or at least first name on the team sheet out of the back four. It would be, it would be very frustrating, considering all the investment that we just put into the squad. I mean, now we're well over $100 million in investing over... Uh, in center backs after the Buddy of Shield deal is over. So at what point are we going to start using that money to our advantage? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think maybe it's not immediate, but I think you have to start phasing him out. Maybe it's one of those things where he plays one match every three as a starter or, or you or you pick and choose the big games where you have to have his veteran leadership and his positioning, blah, 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 blah all, all the accolades that we know Tiago has and adds to the team. But it might be time to where in these other games, such as Forest, for example, you don't deploy Tiago because while he's going to be the smartest guy on the pitch and it maybe helps you beat a low block, we're going to need to find somebody else to do that for the next 10 years. 
You know, we we can't let Tiago and his experience and all that keep us from learning and keep us from growing outside of him. Like you said, Zach, we've invested a shit ton of money at center backs. And the thing with center backs is those guys only get better when they play. Like they're mm-hmm. not they're not attackers that they come in and they cause chaos. Center backs need to see what's happening. They need to be playing every single week. It's it's how Saliba went from like potential good guy at center back to like, damn, this is one of the best guys in the league. Like you have to play, you have to get the minutes. And, and that's why like I'm all for Chalaba getting more minutes in, in this team. I think he has the, the tool set. I think he's shown he's good enough and, and we don't have to risk Tiago every single week. You, you mentioned it, great, great world cup, but he also did a lot of traveling. He's 38. He played full nineties every time for Brazil and and so that's those are games that nobody else on this team played. Like it takes him a little bit longer to recover. So yeah, I I just think we need to start giving him a little bit more of a break and give him full days off. You know, a game like today, did it really need Thiago Silva? I think Bournemouth had like 0.5 goal ex- expected goals like he took nine shots and five of them were from outside of the box. And they weren't even close to the target. So I think we need to be better about when we deploy Tiago Silva. That's and slowly phase him out because again, you can't go into next season relying on a 39 year old to be the solution. He needs to be a, a complement to plan A, not the only plan. All right, let's move on. Uh, I guess we can wrap up the recap out with any final comments if anyone wants to add anything i know we've talked about a lot but i don't know we might be back who knows <laughs> any, anyone want to add anything i still think top four is very very likely i know we're like in eighth place right now but it's a long tough, season man. we need to get within one tough. game for me to believe it what is it 24 like more matches this season yeah I mean, there'll be injuries, there'll be hiccups for other teams, but like, I mean, we were talking, I was talking about this off, um, when we weren't recording or off camera, whatever, but like as excited as I was about our performance and the time that the team had, the rest of the squad had to work with Potter and sort of get his philosophy and his ideas down, every other team do the same thing, do good in their first half also. You know, so I'm taking it with a grain of salt, the performance as a whole. Like, I think I think it's great that we're playing better and that we're getting his ideas. But at the same time, a part of me feels like it might be too big of a mountain to climb this season. I mean, man, you did play damage has already been done. Man, you did play a team that's way worse than the one we played today. Just just putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's fair. But at the same time, you could only play who's in front of you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're we're bragging about a Bournemouth performance, and that's not it's saying that Bournemouth is like exponentially better than Nottingham. Like they're pretty much one and the same. Bournemouth just has another goal or two in them. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some transfer news. So, as I mentioned before, um, Benoit Badiashil, center back from Monaco. Um, Apparently, he's here we go soon, according to Fabrizio. So um, it's pretty much 
going to happen and supposed to happen uh, as a January transfer. 35 million pound fee. Um, so he's said to be a first team signing. I mean, when I first saw that, I kind of laughed. It's like center back. That's the position we, we need right now. 35 million. Like that's the same price that Liverpool just paid for Cody Akpo. Hackpo. How do you pronounce it, Andreas? Hackpo. Hackpo. That's how they would say it. With an H sound? Yeah, like Van Hall. Right. Yeah, which I didn't even know was Van Hall until like a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. But am I like being a, a bummer just for thinking that this is a stupid signing? No, I mean, I don't. I think we just don't know enough about this guy. I think. I I, I don't I'm not excited about this like I'm not going to pretend like I know this guy and like I said I've, I've been a huge fan of what Chalaba has done this season and I think like Chalaba plus Koulibaly slash Thiago Silva should get us through this season and like you have a guy named Levi Colwell getting more and more minutes for Brighton who is a left-sided center back so like are you telling me that we're gonna like I get it. Fardiel is now out of the picture in terms of money. Like we won't, we will not compete with Man City and Real Madrid for him. But are we really needing this guy immediately in January? Like, I I don't know. Again, to me, this seems odd. But at the same time, like we just built this whole board that has all of this data, and they have relationships across Europe. Maybe they know something we don't. I just think it's kind of like. Man, we just convinced Colwell not to jump ship, and we're going to sign a young guy that's going to immediately be ahead of him in the pecking order again. Yeah, I, I share the same exact frustration. Like, why? I understand padding the squad and getting depth, and especially young players that have upside and potential resale value and whatnot. That all speaks for itself. But, man. We need a fucking right back. <laughs> we need another center mid. Like, there's there's more pressing issues within the squad than this. And I think if Cobham yeah. if Cobham produces anything, it's a decent center back, a decent defender as a whole. So yeah. why not put all your eggs in Colville's basket right now? He's off getting his playing time, like you said. He's looking half decent. Tuchel was high on him. Potter was high on him. Odds are Potter is still going to be high on him when his loan is up. So now, I mean, it's great that we're going to have that competition within the squad and all that, but Buddy Ashiel's 21. He's essentially the same age as Colwell, maybe a year yep. older. So it's not like we're dealing with a guy that we can tell Colwell, you know what, we just signed Koulibaly, he's 31. We're going to give him two or three years and then we'll phase you in. This is a guy that we're bringing in and potentially looking at as a center back for five plus years, years minimum. Yeah, exactly. So that that does kind of worry me. Again, I like the fact we're stockpiling this talent, but for me, it's just like, I mean, at this point next season, we'll be able to field the team with all defenders. Like a, a whole last starting 11 where we'll have center backs as strikers and center backs as center mids. And like, it's it's, it, it, it's kind of crazy to me. It, this one really doesn't make sense. Like, if we're committing to the back four, which it seems like we are, you need four, maybe five center backs total. 
And we're already there this year if you include Colwell. Because on the right side, you're thinking Fofana Chalaba. Check. Two. On the left side, Tiago Koulibaly. Check. Two. Colwell, option number five, who potentially you think of more usable than Tiago Silva next season when he's 39. That's five center backs. Like, really? We have one right back. <laughs> we still only have a D- one DM, and he's a lone player in Zakaria. Yeah. Like, Plus half. <laughs> so we I, I get it. Of a striker, I mean, Aubameyang plays off the left. He doesn't even play up the middle anymore. So, so the thing here is like, I get this whole Chelsea twenty thirty, blah blah blah. Like you said, Zach, stockpiling for the future. But the thing is, we have the the future guys already on on our books. This isn't like, oh, our center backs are balling and they're twenty five. This guy's the nineteen year old. Like, this is not like the Andre Santos move. This is not like Chukwameka, like Cassidy or Omari Hutchinson, where. Their potential is for to start in three years. Everything points at, including what Fabrizio said, is that this guy's jumping into the starting, like the not the starting eleven, but the first, first team, team. from yeah. day one. And again, maybe we're just super ignorant to who this guy is. Like, hope, I hope we're, so. I hope so, right? Because we're paying thirty-five million. Like, it's cheap for what the market is pushing right now, but at the same time, it's still thirty-five million. Like we. Yeah. Yeah, Cole will for free. Like that's that's my mm-hmm. hesitation there. And the other options, I mean, not as a center back, but Enzo Fernandez is another name that's been coming up a lot, and we have been linked with him before. But especially after this World Cup, his price has gone up. It's gone up, guys. Uh, where right now, I think the only option that um, where does he play again? Um, Benfica. 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 Benfica is looking at right now is his 120 million euro buyout clause, which would be absolutely insane, I think, to trigger that. But I mean, it, from what it sounds like, his agent is traveling back, back and forth between Europe um, to start talking to interested clubs. So I don't know. 120 seems like a lot. I would be happy to see him. I mean, he could also play CDM. He he is not. I think he's naturally a CM, and that's probably his best position. But mm-hmm. he could play both. Hell, I think he could even play the ten. Like to an extent, I think he does play. The, I think he yeah. did play the ten for Benfica, and then he just yeah. dropped deeper for the for the national team in Argentina. So he's not necessarily like like if you think about it, getting three players in one, then 120 million is not a lot. Given the fact that he spent thirty five million on a center back I've never heard of, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset. I like. I would obviously be happy. I would just think that that price is a lot. Andreas, you want to add anything? It's not my money. <laughs> it's just. I mean, he's twenty one, right? He he just turned twenty one. He. Obviously looked really good in the World Cup. Again, if it's this 4-3-3-4-2-3-1 hybrid, and you're going to give me a guy that has the defensive work rate, but also will add a little bit to the attack, like he can play opposite of of Mount in the three mid midfield, and you can still have room for a DM, and it still would be a solid offensive structure when Mount gets to drive forward. I like the player profile. Now, 120 is a lot. If if we would have signed him last summer, I'm sure it would have been a third of the price. Um, but for example, this this uh, link 
I like better than the Alexis McAllister one. I think yeah. he has a far higher ceiling. I know McAllister's Premier League proven and also has like slowly worked his way backwards in terms of his position on the pitch. But Enzo is is more of a of what we need in midfield. McAllister has that has a pass in him and he can join the attack, but Enzo's got the bite, he's got the the defensive ability. He's really good at dribbling and progressing the ball as well. And he'll pitch in with a goal here and there, which, again, outside of Mason Mount, our midfield doesn't have. Now, again, it's it's not my money. And I still think a true DM is still more important. But I'm not going to be upset. <laughs> like, I'm all in on this hype. I, I just, I know the money's a lot. And, and that's a little bit of something to, to be wary of. But I love the, the links. I, I really do. This this is the only other midfield player outside because I'm not counting him as a DM either. I think he's definitely more of an eight. But this is the only midfield player box to box that I would that I'm willing to spend this kind of money for other than Jude. Jude Bellingham. I mean, I'm I'm just like you, Andres. I'm completely on this hype train. I watched almost every single Argentina match in the World Cup. And I know Messi won all those man of the matches or player of the matches, whatever they call them. But Enzo was a close second in a majority of them. I mean, he was everywhere at all times for Argentina, making tackles, picking out passes, scoring important goals. So, like, yeah, I mean, 120 million, I, I don't, I, I think it's a lot of money, but for the player that you're getting, and I know he's playing in Portugal, but. You can safely say he's proven just based on his consistency in the World Cup, playing in against top teams, against top players, things like that. 120 million in the grand scheme of things isn't that bad for what you're going to be getting. I mean, like Andres said, you're going to be getting 10 years of this guy. If he can keep that level, let's say he doesn't improve at all, right? From from where he's at now to the end of his career, but he just maintains this form for 10 years, that's easily worth 120 million any day of the uh, week in, in today's market. Another another thing that like I don't know gets talked about enough is the stock of of Liga Nos in my eyes has gone up so much in the past two years in terms of players because of going, Darwin Nunez, Jao Felix. No, uh, <laughs> no, not even Jao Felix. Think about Luis Diaz. I yeah. hate I love to hate Bruno, but Bruno statistically is fantastic for mm-hmm. for United. Mm-hmm. When we got Nemanja Matic out of Benfica, instant impact at Chelsea. Ruben Diaz, instant impact at uh, Man City. They're, people are, are picking at these Portuguese talents and immediately balling out in England. So, you know, I, I, I get that the fee is inflated, but there's, there's something there. Like, not my money. Gotta be, yeah, at the end of the day, not my money. And Bully, Bully's promised that he's going to invest into the present and the future. This guy ticks both boxes, just saying. I mean, I mean, to answer, any, if anybody still has a question about him, I'll just answer it now. I mean, he is not um, Renato Sanchez 2.0 from the Euros uh, whenever Portugal won it. Like, this guy won player of the turn, or young player of the tournament because he actually was the young player of the tournament. Like, he is the real deal. There is no oh, well, he could possibly fall off or he could possibly not be good enough. 
I think he's answered every question that there is to ask of him. And in terms of him being Premier League ready, I mean, he's Argentinian. He, he He's Premier League ready. Those guys are professional shithousers for a living. So... You know, I I think I think whoever winds up getting them, whether it's a Premier League or not, but more suppose more so specifically Premier League teams, they're buying somebody who's pretty much ready made. And that's uh, another thing you have to take into consideration. You're not buying a 21 year old that you're slowly going to have to bet into the team. You could pretty much you could throw him into the starting eleven against Bournemouth today, and he could easily put in a man of the match type performance. And Renato was 18, got bought by Bayern, and they shattered his confidence before he finally went to Swansea. So. Yeah, I think it's a little different than going to a team that has a better, you know, supporting cast than a Swansea. Yeah, that helps. Uh, the last name we should talk about, Joao Felix. Um, he's been brought up, rumored uh, to be talking to Arsenal, United, and us, apparently. His transfer fee would be £86 million, but our discussions have again, apparently centered around a loan with maybe an option to buy. Um, I mean, if that was the structure of a deal, I would be really in favor for that. But I know he's also, you know, getting getting some love for from Arsenal, which I think if you look at that situation versus ours, that might be a better situation right now. But I think as far as like whether it's necessary for us, if we're we talked about getting rid of Ziesh and needing to bring someone uh because he's not a striker in my opinion i i don't see him as a striker at all like i think he's more of a winger or maybe a 10 more likely a winger um he could fill in that spot really well and probably maybe take that from Raheem Sterling but i'm not i don't i'm not 100% sold on spending 86 million for him right now. I think I think in terms of the name, in terms of the profile, in terms of the age, in terms of the ability, he ticks every box. This is this is the kind of signing that I want to be targeting, right? A player that doesn't really have question marks over the ability, the question marks are really more so can he get more time where he's at? And if not, I don't he know needs if that's to make true about Zach, sorry. I don't know if that's 100% true. No, no, it is. There's I mean, still question marks about his ability, I think. Did you watch him in the World Cup? He was pretty did, damn but, good. But how has he looked for Atletico? Then why are they trying to get rid of him? Atletico plays negative football. And this is a you're talking about an out and out flashy attacking player who needs to have the ball at his feet in order to thrive. Like he's not he's not like your it's gonna be funny that I'm comparing him to him, but like he's not like your Griezmann type player where he can do all the dirty work, run around, make tackles and then provide in the attacking part of the pitch. It's not like that with him. And this is just an out-and-out flashy attacker who's going to create and finish. So, I mean, for me, there isn't any questions about the actual ability itself. I, but but I, I'm on the same boat as you in terms of if it's a loan, low risk, high reward. I've seen that there's possibly an obligation to buy if we did do a loan. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. Maybe if we can knock down the transfer fee by guaranteeing Atletico will actually buy him. But again, you know, it's the type of player that we need. It's the right age. And I think he has a he has the ideal mentality that Potter likes to see in, in attacking players. If you notice, we're not really going out after out-and-out strikers or out-and-out wingers or out and out midfielders 
we're finding players that are versatile, that can play in multiple positions, that are able to change positions mid-match, just like we saw today between Kai Pulisic and Sterling. And I think Jao Felix would be perfect for that too. I mean, you could start him on the right, he'll drift to the center. You might find him on the left sometimes. You might find him dropping in deep or being the furthest one forward and so on and so forth. Now, one thing I want to add before I pass it off to Andres is I was hearing today that Arsenal officially dropped their interest in him because they're going balls to the wall for that Mudrik kid from Shakhtar. So I know that Arsenal's out of the picture. And the other thing that we need to think about in terms of Jao Felix, naturally you'd think, okay, we have a better chance, but United just got fucked with the Gakpo deal. So now United has even more incentive and more resources to go after Jao Felix because there might be a sense of being desperate. I mean, if you look at all the names that are available for a January transfer, Jao Felix is right at the top of the list in terms of notoriety, you know, popularity, whatever you want to call it. So there's a lot of aspects to think about with this too, because you're not just buying the player, you're buying the image of Jao Felix. The guy's going to sell fucking jerseys. One, one thing that neither of you mentioned though, is we have Nkunku coming next summer. So yeah. if Ziyech gets sold and Kunku's still there, and Nkunku mm-hmm. can be your striker or your right winger, which is the holes we would be filling for the Ziyech situation, right? So that's a part of, that's really uh, the stop gap for me to daydream about the Zhao Felix move. Now, if you're telling me that we're also actively selling Pulisic as, as well as Ziyech, then it's like, okay, sure. And it makes perfect sense because then your, your front four can still consist of Mount and Kunku Felix plus one, whether that's Kai who thrives or, or, or Broja who thrives, whoever you want to put at the top of the pyramid. You know, that front four makes sense week in and week out. Um, Aubameyang might be gone next season. You could think about that too. Right, but again, Aubameyang's not even in my plans for next season. And and it doesn't affect this this Jao Felix move. Right now I'm looking at if it's a 4-3-3-4-2-3-1. You have Sterling, Mount, and maybe Pulisic will be here next year. A drift behind our striker. If Pulisic is, is truly on the market as much as Ziyech, then yes, this makes absolutely perfect sense to me. Because Jao Felix is right-footed at the end of this thing. Like, putting him on the right is what Portugal did uh, to, to make it kind of work for them after they benched Ronaldo. But truly, you'd probably want Felix drifting in from the left side if he's not going to be yeah, played centrally. Yeah, that's his natural position. Yeah. Yeah. So, again... It just kind of depends on what we're really thinking about next season. If if Pulisic truly has said like, "Hey, my future's not here," and shake his hand, say, "You're here through the through the end of the season," but we're going to get Jao Felix in here. That that's kind of like where I'm at. I I don't think just Ziyech opens the door for Felix because I know Nkunku's on the way, and Nkunku is known for being central or to the right. So. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I don't know if it's necessary unless we know that we're we're shipping out two wingers before next season starts. Yeah, I mean, if our number one left wing right now is Pulisic, like, we could obviously upgrade on that, but, yeah. Um, All right, let's talk about uh, our next match, Nottingham Forest. Uh, So we play away at the city ground right now. They're sitting in 19th place. Um, They just got smacked by United today, um, 3-0, I believe. 
they've scored 11 goals this season in their first 16 matches so far. Um, are they sitting? Yeah, no, sorry, 19th place. I just said that. Um, so this should be, and I say should be, because I still have to like set a little bit of expectations for this Chelsea team. Um, should be able to handle them easily. Zach, do you have any predictions? Yeah, I, I mean it's away, so obviously the atmosphere is gonna be um, it's gonna be very lively. It's Forest's first game back since the World Cup. I think it's going to have a similar outcome to the Bournemouth match, the one we saw today, where I think we'll be relatively comfortable. They might give us one or two scary moments on a set piece, but in general, they don't really have a strike, any forward players that are scary. So I think for the most part, we can be comfortable enough playing, you know, 1v1 and pushing numbers forward, getting guys into their box and creating havoc on their end of the pitch as opposed to them creating havoc on ours. So I think it'll be 2 0. Um, my lineup prediction is I hope that Potter doesn't change a single thing. I hope we go out with the same exact lineup. Let's build some cohesiveness um, and, you know, maybe get some of the more periphery guys in. Like, I want to see an Amari Hutchinson play. I want to see Chuck Wameka get some minutes. Um, so hopefully we can score two or three in the first hour or so and see those guys. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go say 2-0. It'll be a clean sheet. I'm hoping for three goals. I want three goals, and I think we'll see a slightly... Actually, I take it back. I don't think we'll see much rotation. I don't expect all the youngins to play, but I do think Zakaria is going to get back-to-back Premier League starts. That's for oh, the for sure shoe-in for me. As he should. I like 3 now as well. Um my 2-2 two, two draw or 1-1 one, one draw shtick hasn't been working, so I'm going for 3-0. Um, we'll start a new tradition then. Yeah, it has to come naturally. Um, yeah. I think that wraps it up for today's episode. Um, if you don't already, please subscribe. Um, follow us on Twitter at Blues on Parade Pod. Um, and... Uh, Keep an eye out for our next Twitter questions post uh, for our next episode. And uh, hopefully we are able to record next episode another three points in the bag. Until then, keep the blue flag flying high.